All right. So, beginning in our study, <clears throat> as we get started tonight, we're going to study pneumatology. Pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. The study of the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter number 1, verses 1 and 2. We're starting at the very beginning. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void... And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know, we all, we've, uh, we were talking about it even a little bit tonight, but uh, we all have something uh, that uh, we carry around seemingly all the time, dictates much of our lives, called a cell phone nowadays. And uh, it's, it's incredible what you can do with these, uh, with this item. I mean, whenever I was born, whenever I was growing up, uh, many of you probably uh, un know this or remember this, when uh, computers uh, did very little. Um, you know, I can remember growing up, the computer that, that we got, whenever, I remember when we got a computer, and I remember when we first got that computer, um, all the things that it was able to do. Um, and that was very minimal. <laughs> I can remember uh, whenever we would, when you would sit there and you'd click on the button and the, uh, the, uh, the dial tone would come up. And uh, the nice sound that it would make as it was connecting to the internet. You probably can remember that and it's etched into your mind and you're scarred for life. Um, who would have thought the fast forward to 2022 and we'd be able to hold tiny computers in our hands? But it's amazing because if we don't know how to work this, um, then you can use it for purposes, but it won't be used for the purpose that it was intended for or for the capacity that it can have. I mean, you could take this and, you know, realistically, you could take it and use it as a, um, as a, as a coaster on a table, and uh, you can set your drink on it, and it would probably make a fine coaster uh, if you used it to do that. Uh, you could use it just as a camera. Uh, there's some people that they film and they do all kinds of things with their, their cell phone, and you could use it as a camera, and that's the only thing that you use it for. You could try and attempt to use it as a Frisbee. Um, now, I don't know how well that would work, but you could sure give it a shot and see if you could uh, use it that way, and uh, you know maybe it would work, maybe it would uh, accomplish what you want it to accomplish, but the truth is, if you don't understand it, you aren't going to use it and access the, access the potential that it was created for, right? Well, it's interesting because the Holy Spirit is someone that many Christians know little about. Of the three parts of the Trinity, he's probably the one that, that oftentimes gets pushed into the corner and uh, is kind of just set aside because we don't understand him, we don't know about him, we don't really uh, comprehend about him, and so what do we do? We just kind of put him aside. But what's amazing is he's mentioned in the second verse of the entire Bible. Uh, in fact, he's mentioned in the second verse, and he's found all throughout the scriptures. In verse number two, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. It only took two verses in the, the Word of God to get to the Spirit of God. And yet, he is not only misunderstood, oftentimes in many churches, in many Christians' lives, he's avoided almost completely. And uh, that's, that's sad. It shouldn't be like that. We see 
other religions who have taken the Holy Spirit and have twisted Him into something that He isn't. And we've become so afraid of what some religions have made Him to be that we avoid Him completely. But when we do that, we're missing out on one of the most incredible parts of the Christian life. The most incredible persons of the Trinity. In fact, until you know the Holy Spirit, you cannot live the Christian life how God intended for you to live it. So tonight, for a few moments, we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. Now, as has been the case over the last couple of weeks as we looked at theology, the study of God, and the Christology, the study of Christ, we're going to go through and mention a bunch of facts at the beginning, and in the end, we're going to see how this applies to us, why this is important. So don't lose it. Don't, don't lose me as, as we're beginning here, as we get started. Uh, I, I know as we're going to go through a lot of details and mentions of verses and things like that, uh, uh, don't tune me out because we'll, we'll get to where we'll apply all of this, okay? So first of all, uh, facts about him. First of all, we're going to see who he is, who he is. So with, in, with that in mind, who he is, first of all, we're going to look at his names. His names. He is called the Spirit of our God. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so he's called the Spirit of our God. He's called the Holy Ghost. We, we understand that. We, that's a common name. The Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 6.19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own. He's called the Spirit. The Spirit. Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? And then he's also called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? These these names of the of God, these names of the Spirit, they they point to different attributes about him. We'll look at some of them tonight uh, and different capacities of him, but they're all talking about the same person in the Godhead, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. So we see some of his names, but we also see that he is God. He is God. He is, and, and as we think about that, we'll, we'll look at some of these characteristics about him. Just in the same way as we started in theology and we talked about the characteristics of God, and then we went to Christology and we talked about the characteristics that are in Christ that are only found in God. Now we, we look at the Holy Spirit, and in the same way, some of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that only are attributed to God, uh, and therefore calling the Holy Spirit God, and equal with God. So he is God, he is eternal, Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from your dead works to serve the living God? There he's called the eternal Spirit. So he's eternal. Very, right there, it just says it. It just calls it right out. It says, listen, he's eternal. He is omnipresent. Once again, an attribute of God. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Whither shall I go from thy Spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take wings, the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy, thy, thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. And see that he's, he says, where, where can we go that your spirit is not? God's present everywhere and the Holy Spirit is, is present everywhere. He's omnipotent, uh, Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power 
after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay, so we have the power that the Holy Spirit has, and, and that power that it talks about there is, is talking about a dynamite. It's literally the Greek word that's used there is where we get our English word dynamite. It's literally a dynamite power, um, just the power that the Holy Spirit has. He's omniscient, omniscient, again, meaning that he's all-knowing. In, in John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Uh, he, he knows all things, and so he can teach all things. He creates. He creates. Job 33, verse number 4, The Spirit of the Lord hath made me, hath, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Uh, the Spirit of God made me, he says. And so, obviously, as we saw in Genesis chapter number 1, he was present and a part of the creation of the earth. Uh, and then he is holy. He is holy. Ephesians 4.30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Again, within his very name, we, we have this, that he is a holy, um, perfect, spotless God, the Holy Spirit of God. And then he is equal with God. 1 John 5, 7, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. These three are one, and we know this. this is not meaning one in purpose. It's meaning they are one. They are equal with one another. Okay? So we see, first of all, that uh, a little bit about who he is. Secondly, let's look at this. He is a person. He is a person. Now, some religions have taught that the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is simply a feeling or something mystical. You know, why, why is this important that we, that we think of him as a person? Uh, well, it's because some, some teach that he's just, just this emotion that, that comes over you, just this feeling that you have, something mystical that we kind of uh, put off. And, and I think that's part one of the reasons that uh, many people have stiff-armed the Holy Spirit. This mindset has turned the Holy Spirit into little more than a player on our emotions. And he's so much more. He is a person. This is vital to understand that he is never referred to in Scripture as an it. It never says that he's an it. It always refers to him uh, personified. It always gives him attributes of a person. And he's so much more than simply a feeling or something mystical. The very definition of a person is one having mind or intellect, a will or volition, and emotion. Okay, so it's one having a mind or an intellect, a will or volition, and emotion. So with that thought of what a person is, let's talk about some, of, some more attributes that we can see in the, the Holy Spirit. First of all, he has intellect. I mean, to, to meet the very definition of what this is. Romans 8, 27. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we see that he is searching, and, and he's knowing. What is this? He he's, has intellect, all right? Uh, he has emotion, Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You can't grieve something that isn't a person, okay? You can't grieve something that isn't something that has uh, a, a mind, a conscious mind, right? He has volition, which is the capability to make choices. This is, this is something that is very important. 
Acts 16, verses 6 through 7. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were in Myasia, they assayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And so we have the, the Holy Spirit giving direction to Paul as he's going on where exactly he should go. He's giving direction. He's making decisions. He's saying, no, don't go here. Go to this place. So clearly he has volition, consciousness thought. That's very, uh, very important. He teaches, John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. All right? You can't, uh, you can't teach if you don't have um, the ability, if you're not sentient. Uh, he testifies and when the com- in John 15, 26, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send in you, to you from my Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, uh, I am pointing you to the Father. The Father is pointing back at me and the Holy Spirit who's going to come uh, and will be in my place. We'll look at that in just a moment. But that's going to take my place. He says he's going to point back to me. He's going to testify of me. And that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Uh, And then he guides. He guides. John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Uh, Again, uh, just important to see. He's testifying. He's guiding. He has volition, discernment, all these different things. He reproves. He reproves. In John 16, 8, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness uh, and of judgment. Okay, so he's going to give reproof. Uh, He commands... Acts 8.29, then the Spirit say, said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Uh, it was the Spirit that commanded Philip, the evangelist, to go and to preach to that eunuch. Uh, what a cool thing that, uh, that the Holy Spirit was the one that actually gave him direction. Uh, so he commands him. He can be lied to. Okay, You can't lie to somebody that isn't you know, conscious, all right, a person. You can't lie to some mystical thing, you know. It's, you can't lie to just a feeling or an emotion, all right. He's a person. He can be lied to. Acts 5, 3, uh, when Ananias and Sapphira, we know the story about them, is they kept back, and then they said that they gave more than what they actually gave. They kept back some for themselves. Peter said uh, to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? He says, You've lied not to God. He didn't say lie to God. No, no, we know that in turn he did lie to God, but, but he says, why'd you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why'd you lie to the Holy Ghost? Okay, so he was, he was lied to. And then he can be resisted. Man, Calvinists have a hard time with this one because they say that, uh, that God's grace is irresistible and uh, God is irresistible. You can't resist him. And yet the Bible says something contrary to that. In uh, Acts chapter number 7, verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Listen, you're you're resisting the Holy Spirit. You're resisting the Holy Ghost. Uh, What is one of the things that we try to accomplish when we're preaching? And, and, I mean, the the prayer and everything that's leading up to it. What is it? It's trying to get people to stop resisting the conviction of the Holy Ghost, the conviction of the Holy Spirit from God's Word. And and then we see that he can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30 just simply says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Um, The Holy Spirit has emotion. He can be grieved. Now, that is something, as we mentioned, that is a person of the Holy Spirit, that he's, he's a person. The Holy Spirit isn't some emotion that we pray to fall on us. 
He isn't some mystical light that floats around and appears in the background of pictures. Okay, um, I've, I've talked with people that said, well, you know, I just saw this, this light and I just knew it was the Spirit of God. And, well, I mean, no. I mean, that's not how that works, okay? He, he's with you all, all the time, and he doesn't, it's not like he appears as a light. In fact, the Bible talks about how Satan appears as an angel of light. And so uh, there's more, uh, more picture, more pointing to that, and then there's the Holy Spirit uh, showing up like a light, okay? The Holy Spirit is, is a person. Um, now, just like God the Father, uh, he's not somebody that we see, right? Okay, but we know who he is. We know what he does. We know that he has control, and he is a third part of the Trinity and a person with a purpose, all right, so what are some of the purposes that he had? Well, his works, let's look at some of his works in the Old Testament. His works in the Old Testament. And I know we've got it, we're going through just, we're just like rapid fire going through this, but I want to get to some stuff here at the end that I think is very applicable for us, okay? And so I hope you'll go back and you can read through some of these verses that we've already mentioned um, as you go back and you think about the names and, and some of his attributes and things like that that points towards him. Uh, his works in the Old Testament. What, what was the Holy Spirit doing? In the Old Testament, there's some some that teach and believe the Holy Spirit wasn't didn't even come on the scene until the New Testament. Um, that's very contrary to you know the Bible, and so that's that's not at all what the Scripture. In fact, we just saw he's mentioned in the very beginning, the second verse of the Bible. He had a part in creation. So what what was the the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? Well, he enabled men for service. Okay, he enabled men for service. We see this in Exodus 31 verses two and three. Uh, it says, "See, I have called by name Bezalel." the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God, and wisdom, and understanding, and in knowledge, and all manner of workmanship. We see throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous times where the Spirit of God fills people and enables them to do things, and, and, cap- and, and, and enables people to be able to do various things, and, and to be able to accomplish things for the Lord's purposes, okay? And so we find that in Exodus 31. He enabled men for his service. Um, And then he indwelt men selectively. He indwelt men selectively. Hey, Renee, come on. Come and join us. Good deal. He enabled men for service, and then he indwelt men selectively. Selectively. Genesis chapter number 41, verse number 38 says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this? Speaking of Joseph, Joseph, a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Uh, we see that, uh, that the Holy Spirit indwelled specific people at specific times for specific purposes. Uh, we know that when, when David was anointed, you remember uh, the story there in 1 Samuel, whenever uh, the, the, when Samuel came and, and uh, he, he comes to, to Jesse and he says, you know, is, are these all your sons? Oh no, I got one more in the field. And he brings in David and David comes in and the Lord says, this is... This is the Lord's anointed. The Spirit says, this is the Lord's anointed. And so what did he do? He takes that oil and he pours it on him. And, and, and as he does that, uh, we know that the Bible says that the Spirit came upon David. And so uh, that, that happened throughout the Old Testament. Many of the prophets, they would be filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit. And so we see that he, was, he would indwell men selectively uh, at specific times to accomplish a specific purpose. Uh, next, we see his indwelling wasn't permanent, though. 
It wasn't something that he indwelt somebody and he remained with them. In fact, we see that in the life of, of Saul, King Saul, who the, the Lord had given him a spirit, but at the point that uh, we remember the story whenever he was commanded to go and kill all the Amalekites, and instead he said he, he kept back some the best of the oxen and the best of the sheep and the best of you know the livestock, and he saved King Agag alive. And, and then whenever Samuel came to him and said, what in the world are you doing? He said, oh, well, you know, I just kept it so we could do sacrifice to God, tried to justify it, and the Lord said, listen, you didn't obey, and now my spirit's departed from you. Um, the, that, that was something that happened. In Psalm 51, uh, the prayer of David after his sin with Bathsheba, and as he's praying, he says this, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not the, thy Holy Spirit from me. David was praying, God, please don't let your spirit depart from me. Uh, he knew that God had indwelt him, that God had empowered him, that his Holy Spirit was, was upon him. He's praying, God, please don't take your spirit away from me. I, I want to do and, and to work within and with your spirit. And then he guided Old Testament writers. And we talked about this whenever we mentioned the, the writing of the Bible, uh, and specifically the Old Testament and the inspiration of the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 23, verse number 2, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, he says, and his word was in my tongue. And so we see that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit was the one that, that empowered those men in the Old Testament to record those Old Testament books for us uh, so that we have the Scriptures and we can know that they are Scriptures given to us by God. So we see his work in the Old Testament. Now let's look at his work in the New Testament. His work in the New Testament. Like I said, we're going to fly through these first four points, and then the fifth point is where we're going to spend the bulk of our night tonight. Okay? His work in the New Testament. He was involved in the virgin birth. Uh, this, is, this is important. He was a part of that. Uh, Luke chapter number 1, 35. Uh, and the angel answered and said unto her, said unto Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that thing, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So we see that the Holy Ghost was a part involved in the conception, the immaculate conception of uh, Jesus Christ in, in Mary. And we know that he was involved in that. He was involved in Christ's death. He was involved in Christ's death. In Hebrews 9, verse number 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself, Without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And we see that he had a part in Jesus' crucifixion. Now, uh, we could really dive into it, and there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, but it's interesting to see that the Holy Spirit was involved in Christ's crucifixion, his death on the cross. He was involved in Christ's resurrection. Uh, as we think about Easter that we just celebrated. And what a wonderful thing to know that the, the Holy Spirit was a part of the resurrection. And Romans 1.4 says, and, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit declaring uh, Jesus Christ to be God, that, that He has power by the, because of the resurrection from the dead. And then he's testified, uh, He testified to men of Christ in the New Testament, and we mentioned this already, um, but uh, in, in John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He testified to men of Christ, pointed them to Christ, and then he guided New Testament writers. And we mentioned this again when we talked about bibliology, 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved 
by the Holy Ghost. And so we see that he was involved in the recording of the New Testament books as he moved these men to record the scriptures that we have today. Now finally, uh, finally, and when I say finally, it's, it's a long finally, okay? His, his, the last point, his power today, his power today. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time tonight because this is this is as as we go back and you can go back and you can listen to the to the, to the message and, and and look through and, and go back and think about all of these attributes and what are all these things doing they're pointing to the holy spirit being god they're pointing to the holy spirit and his deity and his equality with god and with jesus christ and and pointing to his his power that listen he was he wasn't just dormant in in the old testament he was very active and you can find him threaded all throughout the old testament and you can find them all throughout the new testament and and listen he is god there's no question about it but but here's the question what about today what about today well what is he doing today his power today well first of all we know that he indwells believers and as we jump into this last part we're going to do some flipping in our bibles because i want you to see some of these things first corinthians chapter number three so uh, you'll you'll see the 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 verses in your your page so if you get, if you want to get a head start to where you're going uh you'll know where we're going to go to next okay first corinthians chapter number three as we think about uh, G, uh, the Holy Spirit and His power today, we see, first of all, that He indwells believers. He indwells believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 16, verse number 16, familiar verse, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Okay, so we see that, the, that, that, listen, whenever we are saved, whenever we know Christ is our Savior, what happens? We are now considered the temple of God, and as the temple of God, that is where the Spirit of God dwells. Uh, this is an amazing thing. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, what, uh, what was the place of God's dwelling? Well, it was the physical temple, right? Uh, in, the old, in, in, in Exodus, and, and there at the beginning, it was the tabernacle. They'd set up the tabernacle as they would go places this tent and inside of there they would have the 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 holy of holies where the ark of the covenant would dwell and that was symbolized the 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 uh, location that that God would be and so God was was in that tabernacle and then they built the temple and then we had Solomon's temple first of all and 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 that was again where God would dwell where in the in the middle of that temple in that that holy place and then we saw the the temple built back again uh, in in Jerusalem as uh, after it was destroyed and and then again, the God dwelling inside of the Holy of Holies in that temple. And then what happened when Christ was crucified? The temple veil was rent in twain. No longer did you have to go into the temple to meet with God. But here's the incredible part. There was something else that took place. At that point, now when somebody trusts Christ as Savior, they become the temple. Which is just, I mean, we, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, around all of this. But, uh, I mean, we understand it. But, I mean, just the magnitude of that. Listen, uh, people, you know, they don't have to go to a temple. They don't have to go to a place anymore to meet with God. Now, we are the temple. We are the veil, right? Okay? I mean, the, the thing that separates uh, the Holy Spirit that lies within us and anybody else is what? The, t- the veil that we have, okay? Our, our temple, our body. We are the temple of the Spirit of God. And He's dwelling within us. 
What a powerful, powerful thing. And again, that should point even more to that, uh, another emphasis that the Spirit is God. Because we see again that picture, God dwelling in the temple in the Old Testament, and now the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in the temple, our temple, in the New Testament and today. He indwells believers. He seals believers. He seals believers. Ephesians chapter number one. Uh, and we've mentioned this one before, but this is such a, such a powerful chapter when it comes to... Um, uh, security of salvation. I mean, it's just when you really understand it, it is so powerful. In Ephesians chapter number one, again, we know according to verse number one that he's talking to the saints that are in Christ Jesus. And as, as we make our way down to, to verse number 13, he says this, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He says, listen, you, you trusted in Christ, all right? You trusted in, in him for your, your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins after you heard the gospel. Uh, and that's, listen, that's, that's what it is. Nobody can be saved unless they trust in the what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what does he say after that? In whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, this is so cool. The Bible says that we're sealed. And uh, we, we don't do that, but we, we were talking about it even before uh, we started tonight, uh, about a seal that was put on an envelope. You know, the king, what would happen whenever he wanted to deliver a, a, a message somewhere? What would he do? He'd write that message, he'd put it in that envelope, he'd close that envelope, and then what would he do? He'd take his seal on his ring, they'd drop the wax on there, and he'd put his seal into that wax saying that this was not to be opened until it reached its destination according to the king. I actually have a friend who has, uh, has a seal uh, that uh, I don't even, I don't, I don't know how you do that, but uh, somehow he's got a seal and uh, I received a letter from him and, uh, and I remember I got it and I'm looking on the back and I'm like, holy smokes, this is a seal. I mean, it was the real thing, right? You know, I mean, how cool, who does that? But anyway, it was kind of neat. And uh, you know, that's, that's what, it, what was it? It was a seal, listen, not to be opened until it reached its destination. This is cool, okay? The Holy Spirit is the seal, the seal. Verse number 14, which is the earnest. What is an earnest? An, an earnest. For me, whenever I was growing up, Ernest was the guy that was on those TV shows, those movies that I used to work and, and watch, and, and he would go to camp, and he'd go to different places like that, and he was just kind of this goofy fellow, right? Uh, that's what I always thought of. He's the Ernest. I thought, oh, man, I don't know if that's okay. I don't know if that's a good, th good thing. <laughs> no, that's not the Ernest that it's talking about. An Ernest, what is that? It's a down payment, right? Okay, you put, put earnest money down uh, whenever you're buying a house. You know, you, you put this, this money, and it's a down payment until uh, it's finally purchased right until the house is, is is fully paid for it so what are you doing you're putting that that earns much so what is it saying okay the holy spirit is our seal okay he's the earnest okay he's the down payment until the redemption this is when the envelope gets opened okay until the redemption of the purchased possession what's the purchased possession that's me that's you if we've trusted christ our, as our savior and to the praise of his glory Listen, the Bible tells us that we have been given the Holy Spirit of promise as a seal, as an earnest, that listen, until one day when we get opened up, okay, and it, until we are redeemed, until the redemption takes place, one day when we're glorified, we're standing before the Lord. What a blessing. We're sealed. He, he seals the believers. And you want to know one of the, the blessings about that? Here, here's one of the most incredible things about that. Because he's the one that seals us, we can't do anything to lose that. 
That's powerful. Because if it, wasn't, if, if it was up to me, if it was up to you to, to, to keep our salvation, you know what we'd do? We'd lose it, okay? I can't keep track of my keys. I can't keep track of, of my wallet. I can't, Tressa can't keep track of her phone. She has no idea where it is right now. Uh, I mean, she, uh, it's, just, it's just the way that it is, okay? It's, uh, we're constantly losing things. If we had to keep our own salvation, there's no way that we could keep it. It's impossible. There's no way. But it's not up to us. We're sealed by who? By the Holy Spirit of promise, okay? He's the one that seals us. He's the one that, that, that puts that stamp on us until one day God redeems us in heaven, okay? What a promise. What a blessing. That's what he's doing, and I'm thankful that he's continuing to do that today, and he doesn't take days off, okay? Because if he did take a day off, we'd be in big trouble, all right? Uh, but he seals us until that day of redemption. Next, he guides the believer. He guides the believer. This may be one of the most confusing things in, in the day and age that we live in for, for a lot of believers. First, first John, chapter, not first John, John chapter number 16, verse number 13 uh, is where it's supposed to be. I, I don't know if, it's, if I wrote first John on yours or not, but in mine it says first John 16, but there is no first John 16, all right? So John 16, verse number 13. John 16, verse number 13. When you get into these, these this is one of the interesting things about the book of John is in, you, starting in verse number, uh, chapter number 13, all the way through the end of that book is the last night and day of Jesus, basically the last night and day of Jesus' life. Uh, you know, obviously we have chapter number 21, which is when he meets his disciples there on the beach and meets Peter there on the beach, and, and, and we have that. But basically, chapters number 13 through 20 take place in the last night and the, the crucifixion of Jesus' life. Very interesting. And he spends a great deal of time during that speaking about the Spirit. But as we come to John chapter number 16, verse number 13, says this, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall, ye shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. Okay. It's amazing that some people only talk about the Holy Spirit when they're trying to convince others of a decision that they are making. What am I, what am I talking about? I'm talking about when somebody says, well, listen, I just know I just know that I'm supposed to do this because the Holy Spirit just gave me peace. All right? I mean, it's amazing. Peace is just that big. I mean, like, what do you say to somebody that has peace? I mean, come on. You know, I mean, surely they can't be wrong. If they tell me that the Holy Spirit gave them peace, then surely uh, they, they must be correct in, in, in skipping church to go, you know, go golf or, or to be able to go float the river on a Sunday. You know, I mean, clearly that must be of God for them to go and do that because they prayed and the Holy Spirit gave them peace. There, there, some people will only reference the Holy Spirit when we're talking about things like that. Others will twist the scriptures and claim that God has given them direction from it, and it's because of the Holy Spirit guiding them. Uh, they'll twist the scriptures. I, I read today about a professor at a Bible college who had a young lady that, that came to him, and, and she was very concerned because she was in her final semester of her senior year and had no prospects for boyfriends, let alone husbands. And uh, she was very concerned about this. She was, she was very torn up about it. And she came to that professor, and the professor encouraged her to pray about it and to ask the Holy Spirit to give her some, some guidance. Well, two weeks later, she came to him excitedly. 
And, uh, and she said, professionally said, I've been praying for these past two weeks that God would give me a husband. And he's answered my prayers. And uh, the professor was, professor was amazed. He said, you met someone? She said, no, 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 no. She said, I, I haven't met him yet. But I know that I will very shortly. You see, last night, I had a lucky dip. Now, if you're like me, I would have thought, what in the world does that mean? Okay, you know, I mean, like I've heard of other types of dip, but not that, not that, okay? Oh, she said, I had a, I had a, lucky, a lucky dip, and, and the professor was unfamiliar with that term. He said, what, what does that mean? She said, well, I was praying, and I had my Bible in front of me, and I asked God whether he was going to provide me with a husband. And then I closed my eyes, I opened my Bible at random, I dropped my finger on the page, and when I opened my eyes, I was pointing to Zechariah 9.9. This says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. She says, That was God answer, God's answer to my prayer. The Spirit revealed it to me that I am going to get married. That's twisting the scriptures, okay? That's not the spirit. The spirit is not behind that. Uh, that's, that's not the way that works. Now, it's interesting because a similar experience happened to Constantine. Uh, now, I know we're going way back, but uh, the story of Constantine was that one day he was, he was looking and he heard some children singing a song. And uh, they just were repeating this frame over and over again that, that was saying, open and read, open and read, open and read. And he happened to have a Bible there. He opened it up, and when he opened it, he opened it to one of the verses that pointed to salvation and talked about him to stop living his, his, his life that he was living and to repent. And so he did that, and he got saved uh, by, by historical accounts. that says that he, 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 he got saved. Now, you know, one day we'll know for sure if he actually did, but that's, that's what the, the claim. Now, listen, what's the the difference between those. One is twisting the scriptures to mean something that you want it to mean, to fitting it into your little square hole, even though it's a round, round peg. The other is what is taking, opening the scriptures and God speaking from his word in the application that it actually meant. All right, there's a big difference between the two. What is it? One is enlightenment, the other is insanity. Okay, you know, I mean, that's just that's just what it comes down to, and uh, and and so it's important for us to understand the difference between though between those. The, the the Holy Spirit doesn't guide by us opening the Bible, closing your eyes, pointing down, and saying, "Oh, look, well, clearly uh, I can take these words and rearrange them, and here's one word out of here, and clearly that must be what I'm supposed to do." That's not how it works. God does does give peace in his direction. He does give peace in the way that he leads, but he will never lead contrary to his word. And the Holy Spirit will never guide contrary to God's word. Now, John chapter number 17, verse number 17, is one of the most important verses that most people should memorize and should learn. It says this, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What did the Bible say back in, in John 16, 13? It tells us that howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. 
All right? What does that mean? He says he's going to guide you into the word of God. That's what he's going to point to. He's going to direct you in God's word. So you can mark it down anytime that you think to yourself, well, I think that this is what the Holy Spirit has directed me to do. If you can look in the scripture and it contradicts what the word of God says, you can mark it down. That's not right. Okay? No, in our life, that's, that's just the way that it is. So I, I was preaching a revival last year, and uh, I, told, uh, I told the church this. I said, listen, you can mark it down. Really following God's will is pretty easy. Here, here's the way that you know what's God's will. If it takes you away from God and it doesn't bring you closer to Him, it's not His will. If it does bring you closer to God and you does help, help you to know Him in a, in a better way and love His word, then it's probably His will, okay? You, you, you follow uh, those steps. And if God puts a roadblock in the way, then you can know, okay, well, I'm not supposed to go that way. I'll go this way, all right? Uh, but, to, but to do something that's contrary, it's amazing how many times I have to, I, I didn't think that it would actually happen, but how many times I have to actually talked to people that have said, well, I just really know that this is God's will. And I've said, well, is there a church there? Or are you going to be able to be involved? Is this going to get in the way of your, your Bible reading? Is this going to take you away from church? Yeah, 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 but I just know this is God's will. And listen, I, I, I felt very comfortable to be able to say, no, it's not. It's not. Now, people don't like to hear that, so what do they, they don't come and ask for counsel. But anyway, that's beside the point, okay? And so uh, what, what do they do? Uh, most of the time what happens is people come and they say, hey, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm planning to make these decisions. What do you think, Pastor? What are they doing? They're looking for permission, not for counsel. There's a very big difference between the two, all right? And uh, listen, it's very important for us to understand the Holy Spirit, yes, he does guide but he always guides according to the word of God. He always guides according to the word of God. He never leads contrary to it. He teaches the believer. That's the next thing. He teaches the believer. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Uh, listen, the Holy Spirit's the best teacher. In fact, the Bible says that here that he will bring things to remembrance that you didn't even realize that you would remember it. Um, that's a blessing. I mean, because my memory is continually getting worse and worse and worse, I am finding. Uh, I've, I, the, I, here recently, I've had a couple of times where I've been sitting there and thinking, I know this. I know the name to that. Why can I not think of it? And it's, it's like, what is happening to me? And I'm realizing that I'm getting old. And it's, it's, I mean, it's slowly happening, but it's happening. And my brain is slowing down, and I don't like it. And, uh, but, but I'm thankful this. Even though my brain may fail me, the Holy Spirit will not. And it's amazing how there, are, there have been so many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, where maybe you've been talking to somebody and you say, you know what, I don't remember maybe the reference or the exact verse, but I remember what it says. And, and you don't even realize it, but all of a sudden you're able to recall a verse or a part of a verse to, to share with someone else that you didn't even know that you had in the back of your brain. Uh, that's an amazing, amazing thing. Um, you know, sometimes it, it can get confusing because sometimes it's like, okay, is that, is that just a line that I learned from a Disney movie or is that actually scripture? You know, and so, you know, you got you to be careful on those. But no, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will teach you all things. He will bring those things to remembrance. Whatever he said unto you is what it says. Uh, he, is, he produces righteousness. He produces righteousness. This is another thing. Not only will he guide you into all truth, he'll never direct you into something that's unrighteous. He'll never direct you into sin. That's Galatians chapter number 5. You can find your way over to there. Galatians chapter number 5. This is an important passage of Scripture. 
Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 16 is where we're, the verse that we're going to look at. Really, we look at this whole, this whole chapter, uh, uh, really, uh, beginning of verse number 16 through the, basically the rest of the chapter is dealing with the spirit versus the flesh. Um, but uh, chapter number 16 in particular, he'll never, it, it will always produce righteousness. He'll never, never lead us to unrighteousness. In verse number 16, it says this, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's very cut and dry. It's very simple. You can mark it down. If you're involved in sin, you're not walking in the Spirit. It's that simple. I mean, it really is. I mean, if you, if you find yourself struggling constantly with temptation to sin, there's a good chance it's because you're walking in your flesh. You're not walking in the Spirit. Now, temptation in and of itself is not sin. Uh, I heard a preacher say the other day, you can't control necessarily the first look, but you sure can control the second. Okay? We, we, can't, we can't control necessarily the temptation, but we can control if we dwell there. And if it's temptation repeatedly over and over and over again, there's a good chance that we're dwelling in a place that is allowing that to happen. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife came to him? She grabbed his coat, and what did he do? He got himself out of there. He got out of there. And, and, and when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he will always guide us into truth. He will always lead us against the flesh and against the, uh, the, the, the lust of the flesh. And he will always lead us to honor him and to walk in his spirit. Okay, um, what did I have? Okay, um, yeah, we don't, we don't become holy by increasing the number of standards that we hold. We become more holy by walking in his spirit. Why? Because he's going to guide us to become more like Christ, all right? And then finally tonight, and this is where we'll wrap up, and I don't want you to miss this, and, and uh, we, we've just got a couple more minutes here. He empowers the believer. He empowers the believer. Oh, man, if, you've, if you missed the whole night, don't miss this last part, okay? John chapter number 14. Uh, this, this is some, some really cool stuff here. John chapter number 14, he empowers the believer. Verse number 16. Uh, we've, we've already been here, but I want us to see this again. John 14, verse number 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comfort. And this is, this is interesting because whenever it says another there, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells him, he says, listen, I'm going to pray the Father and he's going to give you another comforter. The, the word another there literally means another of the same. That's, that's literally what he's saying there. Why is that important? Because he says, I'm going away. I, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to, re, I'm going to rise from that, and then I'm going to ascend up into heaven. But, but don't worry. It's, it's better for me to go. That's what he says here in this passage. He says, it's better if I leave. Why? Because then my Father will give you another of the same. And that's so cool. That's so powerful. And uh, I, hope, I hope we don't miss that, okay? But he says, I'm going to give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, we know that when it refers to comforter there, the capital C, that this is a reference to the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, uh, or the, word, uh, the Greek word for comforter here, it's, it's the, the, in this verse is the word parakletos, okay? Parakletos. Uh, it is the English word paraclete. Okay, paraclete. Now, don't miss this, okay? St stick with me for a second because we're going to get into some, some, some stuff here, but uh, it's important, okay? The word paraclete is composed of, uh, of two words, okay? And, and they're two Latin words. Uh, the prefix para, meaning alongside, and kletos, meaning to call, okay? So parakletos literally means someone who is called to stand alongside, 
Okay, that's, that's literally what it, what it means. Somebody to stand, called to stand alongside. And, and while we could claim, uh, while, while we could claim that point uh, toward his comfort that he gives, we could, we could point to that and say, listen, that, that points to, to the comfort that he gives us whenever I'm having a, a bad day and God is comforting and all these things. Um, that, that, that's oftentimes what we point to here because that's our understanding of uh, comforter. Okay, when we think of comfort, we think of, what, what do we think of? We think of somebody coming along and wrapping their arm around us. Oh, it's going to be okay. Okay, that's what we think of whenever we think of comfort. But that's probably not what the King James Bible translators meant uh, whenever they wrote that. Um, interesting. When they rendered it as comforter, English was much closer to its Latin roots at that time. The original meaning of the word comforter actually had the idea of with strength. Okay, with strength. That's, that's what it had the idea of. Thus, they were saying that he would be a comforter, not, not in the sense of, of wrapping up wounds and healing. While he does do that, the Bible talks about him being the balm of Gilead, and, and he, he does do that. No, what they were pointing to is his strengthening that he would give before and during a struggle or a battle. It's more of a comforter of, you can do this. Let's, let's go after this. It's not so much a comforter of, oh, oh yeah, I know that you're hurting. Everything's going to be okay. It's more of a, let's accomplish. Let's move forward. Let's, let's have victory. That's why Acts 1.8 says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. What, what was he saying there? It wasn't a, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're going to, let me just wrap my arm around you, and, and I know it's going to be really bad and all that. No, no, what does he say? He says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and, and when you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're going to have the power to go. And to be a witness unto me in, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, I'm going to give you power to go, to go accomplish something. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo... I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. That's, that's amazing. How is he with us always? Through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And what does that mean? He has all power. Okay? And it's amazing. Uh, so many times we emphasize so heavily the arms wrapped around us comfort when we're hurting side of the Holy Spirit. And yes, that is part of his ministry towards us. But don't miss... The other part that we so often just neglect and we set aside, the power that he's giving us. I mean, he's, he's indwelling us and he's given us power. He says, all, all, I have all power given to me in heaven and on earth, and I'm walking, I'm dwelling within you. He promises to walk with us and to give us that power to stand and to speak for him. Too many Christians have leaned so far into the Holy Spirit, our comforter, and the idea of wrapping his arms around us that we have missed the Holy Spirit, our empowerer, to go and to be a witness for him. And really, I think that's the testimony of the church today. 
We, we, yes, it, the, the church is a hospital for sinners. But listen, the church should be filled with victors going out to be victorious for Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Dr. Stanley Livingston, great missionary and explorer, had a medical condition that required him to drink a uh, goat's milk every single day. Terry, you probably been friends with him. So, but uh, he was visited one day by the tribal king, and he noticed that the king was eyeing his goat. Livingston felt that God would want him to give the goat as a gift to the king, and so he did. In return, the king presented him with the staff he was carrying. Later that day, Livingston confided to his friend, I don't know what I was thinking. How could I have been so foolish to give my one and only goat away? I don't know what I shall do with this stick. His friend replied, you don't understand. That isn't just some stick. That's the king's scepter. You don't just own one goat anymore. You own all the goats in the tribe. We have been given all power through the Holy Ghost that dwells within us and walks with us. And we walk around like we've lost our goat. <laughs> I mean, you know, really. What am I going to do? I don't know how I'm going to make it. I just saw, oh, you know, all this. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Romans 8.37 Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Friend, tonight, recognize who you have within you. Stop living in fear and living with doubt. Live like you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. The one all the way back in Genesis 1-2 that was a part of the creation of the world. And we're afraid of what's going to happen in our little world. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And that is a victorious life to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have given to us. And Lord, I know that in, in just a brief hour or so, we cannot even begin to scratch the surface of all that your Holy Spirit can do, all that he does in our life. And so God, tonight, at the very least, I thank you for the salvation that we have and that you keep for us. And I thank you for the salvation that you've given to me and I'm thankful for your son. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that has sealed me and God given me that promise of eternity. I thank you, Lord, for um, each person that's here tonight. And Lord, I'm thankful that yes, God, you are a comforter whenever we're hurting and when we're afraid and, and when we're going through difficulties in our life. But I'm thankful, Lord, that you're a comforter that comes alongside and encourages us to go forth. I'm thankful, Lord, that we have all power because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And I pray tonight that maybe we would be challenged not just to continue living a life um, that's just simply wrapping up our wounds and just saying, okay, I can make it through another day, but God that we would live that life that is victorious for Christ because we have the Holy Spirit empowering us. God, I pray that tonight for someone, Lord, this would just be a reminder 
and encouragement to go forward for you. And Lord, I thank you for the power that's in your word. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. I pray, God, we continue to seek you and ask your Holy Spirit to guide us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.